Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of the Game Podger Unfocused Podcast. I am your host Scott, and with me always is Hilka. How are you today, Hilka? I'm doing a lot better than I was the last time you heard me on this podcast, that's for sure. Yes, yes, you said you were sounding squinting quite a bit better. Yeah, I can talk normally again. Uh, fun fact for those who don't have access to my apartment, um, about 45 seconds after we finished recording the last episode, my voice completely gave out. Uh, in retrospect, maybe we shouldn't have recorded on that day, uh, <laughs> but you know, hindsight 2020, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I'm doing a lot better now. I'm healthy-ish, about as healthy as I normally am. So uh, yeah, I did play a, a lot of video games recently. Uh, being sick is a great excuse to do that. <laughs> and i'm excited to talk about some of them <laughs> it, it sort of sounds like it was kind of planned in a way <laughs> for for the record it was not uh <laughs> <laughs> it was a i don't even want to call it a happy accident because being sick was not fun it never is mm. uh, like that's the thing when when you're um like when you're home from when you're sick when you're home from school as a child it's like you know being at school isn't very fun but you feel bad enough that you're not allowed to go so sure you get to stay home and watch tv i guess but like you're still not having a fun time just like lying in bed and blowing your nose every 30 seconds mm. and not being able to eat much more than like crackers and soup Ooh. which is not what, ex what 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 happened to me for the record i did eat normally but like the point i'm getting at is like even being sick and getting to stay home and play video games i didn't do that by choice you know <laughs> Um, nothing really much with me. Um, I, so I ended up, um, getting a new phone on Friday. Nice. I am, well, funny, yeah, funny story. So yeah, I was one of the ones who got the newest iPhones, the iPhone 15 range. Uh, I got the iPhone 15 Pro Max. Uh, I pre-ordered that on the Friday night at about 10 o'clock Australian time. Um, I was apparently lucky enough to actually be able to get it pre-ordered and delivered on the actual Friday that it, it actually officially came out. Although I was, although admittedly I was waiting uh, because I was working from home. I was waiting all day throughout it and um, like, checking checking the phone my old phone just checking you know where it is you know because it's say oh now now in transit you know now it's getting ready for delivery then it gets about five o'clock and then he goes okay it's actually late for delivery it's going to be delivered on the next business day they get oh that'd be right um but it ended up being i just had to wait about an hour later and they actually came came with the package so 
Yes, I've got the the biggest top of the line one. Only two hundred fifty six gigs of storage. Only he says. Oh. <laughs> well, it goes it goes up to a terabyte. What the hell? That's that's the size of my computer's hard drive. Uh, that's the size of the um. That's the size that I put. That's the size of the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation Five. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> um, but speaking of that, uh, with the newest iPhones that have come out, they did their, I think it was Wonderlust event. So this is where they announced their new, um, basically their new iPhones, new Apple Watches, um, that sort of thing. Um, and with that announcement, um, with the newest iPhones, they announced that it is, it is getting, con- they say, console quality games. So from the showcase they had, they had um, Resident Evil Village and Resident Evil 4 Remake. Uh, they had Death Stranding. Uh, they had, uh, I think, the new Division game. And they also had Assassin's Creed Mirage. That these aren't, a fit, these aren't actually out yet, uh, but they will be coming out uh, to the Apple App Store. Um, but with that... Um, it's sort of a interesting scenario because with these games, they, they sort of talk about uh, because they they when they announced these games, they talked about it within the um, the iPhone 15 Pro um, sort of segment, and with that, that's the one that's got the sort of the new. Excuse me, that's got the new that's got the newest latest uh, A17 Pro chip, and the way these iPhone products work is that. You get the sort of the pro model, and the your standard model, which has sort of last year's pro chip. So this one has the um, the the standard iPhone models have the 16 chip, and they aren't actually going to be able to run these. From my understanding, they aren't going to be able to run these games. So already, we're already segmenting off these games to the most expensive phones that you need to run these. Uh, so I just I sort of want to get your thoughts about that, Helka. It's it's an interesting strategy, I guess. From a business standpoint, it's just like they want people to spend the most money, so they make the most money. But when you look at um, other, you know, normal video game hardware creators, you don't really see a lot of that. I do remember there was a brief window of time where there were a couple of. 3ds games that you could only play on the new 3ds because it was more powerful yep. there was xenoblade chronicles and i also believe hyrule warriors was also new 3ds exclusive i think hyrule really warriors itself it had um it had performance cutbacks on the old 3ds but you could still play it in the old 3ds i believe fire emblem warriors that was the one that was only for new 3ds and we're seeing that again a little like we we didn't think we'd be seeing that again this current generation because Xbox was very adamant that games that would come out on the Series S and the Series X had to come out on both the Series S and the Series X even though the Series S is less powerful but recently we saw Larian Studios Baldur's Gate 3 perhaps you've heard of it um <laughs> having a lot of issues getting the split screen multiplayer to work on the series s 
And so I do believe Microsoft have said like, okay, you know what? We we want Baldur's Gate 3 on our system so badly that we're just going to give them like an uh, an exception, an exemption of like, just just put it on the Series X. Like the Series S, if you literally can't figure it out, then too bad, I guess. Um, but yeah, segmenting the hardware like that. I, I'm also curious um, how those games are actually going to be played because sort of in the previous boom of mobile gaming before we got the like the dregs that we're in now with like terrible free-to-play garbage is you they would have like touchscreen controls uh there there were some some legitimately very good games apparently like i think the closest one to a triple a game that we saw was was it called infinity blade yes that was the one from epic games and that one was apparently quite good. I never played it because I never had a phone that was good enough to. Um, so I wonder if there's going to be like some sort of controller integration uh, or if like, because I, I haven't played Death Stranding or honestly any of the games they announced, but having the like virtual buttons all over the screen is a immersion breaking and b it just feels like it would be a lot less precise than using a controller or even a mouse and keyboard or especially yeah, a mouse I, and keyboard yeah i do know um like especially with the with this iphone i do know that it is compatible they always completely is compatible with an xbox controller a playstation 5 controller a playstation 4 as well uh, with the previous iOS 16 operating system, they did it for Nintendo Switch Pro controllers and Joy-Cons. So the actual hub, the actual Apple devices themselves can use um, addition, like you know, external controllers. I would believe these games would be, they would prioritize those first and then have, I do have seen video of um, people gotten the game early on the iPhone, playing it, on there it's got touchscreen controls but it's just like most of most of the screens just covered in just you know where the l1 r1 it's gaudy basically yeah so how much does this new the the pro cost so in australia this is the pro max one that i got uh actually no actually the the, the small pro model is this, the cheapest you can go to play these games is $1,900. Okay. But we do have to keep in mind that, like, a lot of people would be getting these phones through their, like, uh, mobile phone plans and that they're paying per month instead of the one big lump sum of 1900 Australian dollars or do some quick math. That's probably, like... 1300 euros and probably around 1500 dollars us dollars um so my my biggest question is like it's cool that it can do that and that it is a, a genuine indicator of the chip's power but like why why would you want to like now for my my understanding with this, it if it's um I do know that um Resident Evil Eight 
Oh, sorry, Resident Evil. Yeah, Resident Evil Village. That is actually because that was released on the newest, like, uh, sort of the M series chips because they converted over from Intel chips over to their own Apple Silicon chips. I do know Resident Evil Eight uh, does work with those Apple Silicon chips, which is the same chips that's used on your on the iPhones and the iPads. And I do know, so basically, like if you go like a like a Mac, like a Mac Mini or an iMac, you can play Resident Evil Village. I'd imagine that if you down, if you bought that on the store, that would also be compatible with this um with this phone. Uh, and I do know it's coming to the iPad as well. So if you're in the Apple ecosystem, if you've got those devices, you could sort of somewhat justify, okay, I can play on my phone. And then I can also play it on the iPad and I can also play it on my Apple computer. Bear in mind, you know, these, these devices, you know, well over, you know, thousands of dollars. You know, this is not some situation where it's just like a, you know, uh, a Nintendo Switch Lite, which is like $300 Australian. And that can play like something like Doom Eternal. Yes, it can't play Resident Evil Village or Death Stranding, but we'll see what happens next year when the, um, Hopefully the Switch Pro comes out. Um, but it's, I oh know it, it's it, to me, it's not so much like okay, it's not like it's just coming out. It's just like they specifically did it so it's it's the Pro model that's coming out that they did it for. It's like okay, you're getting the okay the Pro model, fair enough. But then you've also got your standard module model, which would be the most popular. They're basically the the one that most people are going to get, and they're not going to be able to play these games until probably next year when the iPhone 16 comes out and then the standard model gets this Pro chip inherited into it. Oh, it just makes my head spin. I, I think, honestly. like I said, I think it's supposed to be an incentive. Like, look, look what you can do on the Pro model. Don't you want to spring the extra... I don't know, like two, three hundred dollars to to get the pro model. You can play Resident Evil Village on the bus. I don't know why you would want to, uh, but you can. You can do it on a Steam Deck. Yeah, honestly. Although uh, it it random question uh, that's completely unrelated to anything. Hey, is the Steam Deck out in Australia yet? No, <laughs> it's still not. Still not out. Gotcha there. Oh, well, it's okay. So officially it's not out, but it is much easier to get it than what it was originally. Like you've got like sort of like Australian online shops that were basically imported in. Okay. Um, so it is easy. And that's sort of how I got mine. I got it through the online Kogan store. I remember. Yeah. And even um, in Australia, there's um, like there's a, the top end supermarket Woolworths. They have an online store. And you can actually buy it through there. Oh. So I'm not, yeah. So it'd be, it'd be like, say, like something you can get it at, um, in America, sort of like, um, like Walgreens or I don't know what their shop, like their supermarkets are. Walmart? Walmart's more of a big box store where you can buy like everything. Yeah. I'm more thinking about like, you know, the Woolworths is sort of like a, gro- like a grocery shop. You go in, you get your milk, your bread, all your food stuff. Um, yeah, and so they sell online. They sell it. 
I'm going to show my, yes, I have in fact been to Australia here a little bit. I would expect that something from more like JB Hi-Fi than Woolworths, or as I have been informed that a lot of people call it Woolies. Yep. Uh, yeah. J- JB Hi-Fi, they, they sell, a, actually, they sell quite a bit of the um, handheld PCs. So like, you know, the ROG Ally, I think the IO Neos, uh, the Steam Deck. No, they don't. How odd. But my 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 sort of thing that I keep coming back to is like the comparisons to the Steam Deck is very interesting because speaking only for myself, I find that the either the fidelity or just the screen size on the Steam Deck is like slightly too small sometimes for like reading the text properly. And, you know, smartphones do keep getting bigger and bigger, much to my chagrin, Um but even with the the Max model, which is the one you have, I can't imagine you'd have a lot of actual game on the screen because, as you said, no. there's a fair amount of screen real estate taken up just by all the virtual buttons and stuff as well. Mm. So, like, it's cool yeah. that it can you- do this, but, like, aside from having cloud saves between, like, your PC and your iPad, I guess, or your, your iMac and your iPad. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see a lot of situations where anyone's actually going to be using this. I think like it was it was back when when the switch came came out people were saying, you know what this isn't gonna this isn't gonna work because everyone's converted into smartphones. That's why they play their portable games. And basically 120 like 126 million switches later yeah. um, that, that that's not really the case. I, I honestly think it's because it's a bigger screen and it's a separate device. Like it's okay if you're using your smartphone to say like watch it like like watch a quick TV show or YouTube video or listen to music. But if you want to play a game, you sort of want to even if it's portable, you want to sit down, you sort of get a bit immersed in it, and that will that's going to take up precious battery resources. That is one thing I wanted to bring up as well. Like these games would just burn through the battery like nobody's business like if i look at the steam deck and playing Baldur's gate 3 on the steam deck like my steam deck is almost empty after like two hours and you need your phone for other things exactly and you know what your steam deck and your switch also have but fans oh oh for your buttons oh yes 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 exactly buttons and fans Buttons you can put onto a smartphone, like with a Bluetooth controller, you can't attach a fan to your. You can't just put a fan into your iPhone. So Cowards. you've got this heat dissipation. Yeah, you you got this heat dissipation. You're gonna have to um, sort yourself out because it's gonna. I, I actually from the videos I've been seeing, Resident Evil Eight Village looks to be running at 30 FPS, which is fine, which is fine, but for something. Like you've got something like an Xbox Series X or a PlayStation 5, 5, you can probably, I'm not too sure, I don't know if they run at like 120 FPS, but those are like, for Australia, they're like $750 for those machines. And then you've got this $1,900 device. Yes, it's portable, but it can't even run it at, you know, 60. Uh, speaking only from my own memory, I know the Series X can do up to up to 120 uh, FPS. I only know that because my TV is not capable of going to 120 hertz, so I've never actually experienced it. 
but I, I have seen in the settings that it can go up to 120. Oh, sorry. No, I know. Sorry, I know the PS5 and the Series X. They can actually do 120 FPS. Technically, this phone can do it as well. Sorry, more so um, Resident Evil Village. Ah. I don't know if those ga- I don't know if those games themselves can do um, 120 FPS on those device on those machines. I probably should say probably could. Um, but just I don't think the iPhone would be able to handle it. No. So like it. It's a cool feature in, like, theory, I guess. And it, and like I said, it is a cool thing to show off, like, look at how powerful our chip is. But mm. you're getting, like, the worst experience possible for playing these games, I think. It's like watching... Uh, hang on, what's a... It's like watching Oppenheimer on a plane, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> a ge- a yes. movie that's like specifically intended to be on the big screen with surround sound and you're watching it on a screen that's like smaller than my computer monitor with the worst <laughs> headphones imaginable. Yeah. But yeah, that, anyway, that's, um yeah, so that's sort of the announcement of the iPhones and their new games that are coming out. We'll wait to see how they go. <laughs> Yeah, I am very curious because it, it is entirely possible that we're totally off base here and it ends up working a lot better than we think it does. But I just can't really imagine a scenario where it would. Uh, so if you do have positive experiences playing Resident Evil Village or Death Stranding or the upcoming Assassin's Creed Mirage on a smartphone, uh, let us know. We'd, we'd be curious to hear from you. Exactly, exactly. I'll probably look if they come down and like really down in price, I might pick one up to see how it runs, but I won't be rushing to get it out on my phone. Yeah. <sighs> well, with that, uh, you've been, yeah, you've been playing um, some games, you've been playing a short hike. How's that going for you? I, I have. I did mention earlier that I, I, I've been playing a lot of video games while I was sick and even while I was no longer sick. Um, most of the games I've been playing were games that I've talked about previously on the podcast. Um, most notably, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. When I talked about it on the podcast, it was kind of a first impressions type thing because I'd quote unquote only played it for 15 hours. Um, I had, I'm now about 65 hours in and... The end is nowhere close to being in sight. Uh, but honestly, I don't really have that much more to say about it. So I played some very different types of games instead. Uh, notably, you mentioned A Short Hike. Uh, this one is published by Humble, I believe, if I'm remembering the credits correctly. Uh, okay. And it was it, it's part of a thing that has existed for a while but hasn't really been codified until I'd say the last four or five years, the idea of wholesome games. Mm-hmm. Um, and a short hike is, I mean, it's kind of exactly what it sounds like. You're playing as a bird person who goes on like a, a camping trip with your aunt and 
you're expecting a phone call, but where you are, you don't have any phone reception. And the only really place to get it is like on top of the mountain on the island that you're on. So you have to hike up the mountain. And along the way, you talk to people who give you like little errands to do if you want some rewards, maybe. Like there's someone who's like, give me 15 shells that you find along the island. And your character goes, why? And they say, I'm not telling you. And you're like, okay, well, it, it's a video game, so there's probably going to be a reward at the end. And so you go, go around the island collecting 15 shells. Um, here, I did quite like it. Um, it is a very different experience to most of the games I play because a lot of the games I play, you know, they're, they're RPGs or they're action games or they're shooters. There's combat there's stakes um that are like very quite high and for this one there's definitely like some small platforming challenges and some climbing challenges but the stakes are very low which is by design but i think the stakes are a little bit too low because when you talk to the people and they give you like little errands to do there are technically rewards at the end of it. Some of them are money. Some of them are golden feathers, which increase your stamina and allow you to climb and fly longer. I never really felt like I had that much of a reason to be invested in these characters and why they want me to find the headband that they lost in the forest, you know? Um, it's the game sort of leaves you to your own devices to be like, okay, well, you can climb straight up the mountain if you want, or you can explore the island a little bit, look for other golden feathers and stuff. And hmm, I don't know. It's there was just not a lot for me to really grab onto in a short hike. Okay. Have you played any like in the? increasingly popular genre of wholesome games um uh, i tried to probably the last probably wholesome game got really into was um animal crossing yeah put put put, put a fair few hours into that um then my switch sort of I had to transfer. I had to transfer. I, my switch died, so I ended up having to get another switch, and it couldn't do the transfer, so I lost my save. Ugh. Um, yeah, they said this was before they actually did the official save. So, and then I just never really got back into it. Um, I did play a lot of um, the one and the 3DS as well, Animal Crossing. New Village? No. New Horizons, I think. New Horizons was the Switch one. Oh, no, New Horizons Switch one. Um, New Leaf? New Leaf, that's correct. Okay, yeah. So I did get it. I did get into those. It's sort of, I did when I first started, get really into it, you know, doing it each day, making sure, making sure, getting all your bells, making sure, making everything spick and span, you know, sprucing up your place, paying off your debt. And then over a certain time, it's just like you sort of just drop off and just really, really hard to get back into. Yeah, it isn't a game you finish so much as it's a game that you stop playing. 
Um, yeah, one thing I did want to mention about a short hike is I am glad that games like it exist. Like, it's not, especially this one and the one I'll be talking about later, I have many more nice things to say about. Um, I'm glad games like this exist because it shows that shorter games made by smaller teams with lower budgets can be financially viable. And just the fact, yes. just like, despite the fact that it wasn't really my cup of tea doesn't mean it's not nobody's cup of tea. The only real negatives I can say about it on like a game design level are sometimes the camera will get a little weird when you're like gliding and when you're gliding between different like segments of the island, sometimes the camera will dramatically shift in its perspective and send you go careening off in a direction you weren't intending, which uh, it'll do that sometimes when you're climbing as well. And when you're climbing, you do actually lose stamina over time. So sometimes you'll just be like, oh, I guess I'm falling now. Cool. There's no falling damage. It's just a waste of your time, which is, as we all know, the most precious resource we have. Um, <laughs> and the only other thing that's like, I don't know, I, I'm kind of medium on the way the dialogue is written as well. Uh, there is a conscious choice to not use like capital letters at the front of sentences to give it like a sort of casual conversational uh, feel. But I don't know. It all kind of felt like I felt like I was reading the chat logs of someone's Discord server, you know? Ah, uh, okay. Um, I will say it, it shares a lot in common with Little Gator Game, which is a game I played for the bit on Steam Deck. And I do believe it is a much better execution of the same sort of vibe. Like a young person going on like a, not necessarily even an adventure. Little Gator game is a little more of an adventure theme, but just like, okay, sort of doing their own thing. They're they're off in the wilderness-ish. Uh, yeah. So if you liked Little Gator game, you might like a short hike better. What do you, I'm curious your thoughts on the visual style. I, I... I quite enjoyed it, to be honest. I will say I did turn it up to pretty high, I guess, fidelity, because there, there's, like, levels of pixel crunch that you can set it to, and I set it to pretty high. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, mostly just so I could read the text better. Um, but it is... I do really like the visual style. It is very polygonal in, like, a sort of, like, PlayStation 1 kind of way, but not because of hardware limitations but because it's a like a choice a deliberate choice that means it's easier to run and easier to design and there is still a lot of nice detail in there it's just there isn't a lot of polygons yeah and looking at it i'm just looking at here it sort of looks like yeah ps1 game sort of on a nintendo ds yeah, that's a good comparison. Hmm. Uh, I will say I did very much. I really like the music. The music was very good, uh, especially like once you've. 
finished the hike and gone up to the top of the mountain and managed to get the phone call uh, that you were expecting and you like glide down back to the place you started that song was gorgeous mm-hmm. uh, but like it's on game pass which is how i played it and it took me i i finished it in in one evening like i started playing it and i finished it in the same evening so if it sounds like something that you you're, you'd even be like mildly interested in it's worth a try. Like there, there is a lot more to do than I'm making it sound like because when you talk to some of the NPCs, they do have like some of them have like multi-part things where you meet them on different parts of the island. And I didn't finish all of those if the um, achievements are any indication. There's a fishing mini game because you're on an island and you can trade the fish in for money, but, like. There wasn't a lot to spend money on, so I personally didn't feel like it was necessary. But apparently there's a bunch of different fish that you can find, and there's someone you trade them to. Uh, yeah, th- there is a lot more to do that I didn't do. But if you're just looking for something like... It is nice and wholesome, and there is a little bit of like emotion to it especially when you see the context of the phone call you were your character was expecting um yeah it's not just like a it's not a time filler but considering it is on game pass and if you have access to game pass the barrier to entry i believe is very low um just like download it try it finish it see what you think you've got very little to lose that's quite nice because yeah uh in a bit of a segue because yeah i'm brief i've resubscribed to game pass i might check that out and i resubscribed to game pass to check out well the big game of the month which is starfield big is right isn't it like 150 gigabyte download or something it's 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 infinity billion gigabytes. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was this was the plan. It was actually going to be that I was going to resubscribe the play packs, but I've been going through and trying to cut my subscriptions down. So I cut that off Netflix. Um, I didn't resubscribe to uh, Game Pass or um, PlayStation Plus. Um, so I'm trying to cut down costs on that, but I thought Starfield is coming out in the month. I do want to try it out. I do like Bethesda games. You know, I, a couple of days before I've been going through the Fallout games. Um, and, um, so I wanted, I wanted to try, try, basically, you know, try it because it's gone game pass. I can just put on my series X, see how it is. Um, I dropped off. Oh, really? Mm. don't know what it is i just it's trying to be like there is there are comparisons with no man's sky and it sort of does make it sort of like what if no man's sky but sort of elder scroll missions i would say but this is sort of um i would say like something like sky like the Elder Scroll games, especially like the new, the newer, like sort of like Oblivion 
and especially Skyrim and the the Bethesda Fallout games, they're sort of much, I feel like they're much easier to get into. Like effectively, like you start off the game in Starfield, you're sort of on a, on this planet, just mining for resources. Um, and then you sort of find the MacGuffin artifact and you go off on this journey to try and get more MacGuffin parts of the artifact. Um, it's sort of tried to modernize the whole um, pl- playing like Fallout, um, you know, gunplay, um, no vats or no slowdown in time to sort of make up for the shallow ga- gunplay. It's a bit, it's a bit, ro- bit more robust. Uh, but I don't know. It's just like the whole thing with sort of like Fallout and Skyrim is that you can go in, you can either just like you, you, you just. It, your main thing is you're going around, you're just walking around, like just going to a, just walking, going to a place, and then you can sort of like fast travel there. Um, but then you can you can do it either way. You can either just fast travel all your way, or you can take the time and just. I know a lot of people just they don't want to use fast travel; they just want to walk there. And sort of, but you've got that choice. But it just felt like with this game because its whole thing is that you you got your own ship and you can fly around everywhere, and it's sort of. Like at least with um, with No Man's Sky, you sort of you do like you have to jump between systems, but it's sort of that's all you do. You're jumping between systems, but then you're sort of once you get into system, then you're going down. You're flying down into that planet. Whereas with this, it's sort of like yes, that's sort of the key, right? Is um the difference the the main difference between No Man's Sky is. You do actually fly around because in Star you you have your own ship in both of them, but in Starfield, it's basically just a you you don't actually spend a lot of time in space. There's some ship combat, I believe, uh, some dogfighting, which is not great. I've heard. No, that's exactly. I was gonna yes, exactly. That's good. Good point. It's just. Like the whole the way you travel into the system, traveling because you got to like the star system, like star, space station you got to dock into, and it's really annoying. I could not figure out how to dock into the system. Ended up figuring out that, but yeah, the dogfighting system it's sort of it's not just you, you got you sort of like you've got lasers and rockets, and you have to manage those. And then you got this system where you sort of have to have to like you sort of like got certain energy, and you have to increase or decrease energy between and swapping between those you know like you know what you got in your shares what you got in your lasers what you got in your thrust and it's just the it just it i feel like something like inside like in skyrim or fly it is just about right if you, it was like that you just go in a ship and you just fly you don't really have to manage you know you just basically you're flying forward and then you're just shooting things whereas the set you sort of have to you have to micromanage and i I felt like, excuse <coughs> me, uh, with the older Elder Scrolls games, that that was that was a very much a part of it. You basically you had to you had to micromanage everything, and that's what people really got into. Uh, but then when they released, you know, Oblivion and Skyrim, they sort of cut that out and say, you know, amassed a bigger audience. You know, yes, it sort of lost its original appeal, but you sort of gained a new audience. Um, but I just felt like with the, the it's sort of trying to have both worlds, but I sort of feel like either go do one way or the other. And so we've been talking about No Man's Sky in, in, in the comparison a lot. And 
maybe this is relevant to you as well. Um, in the week that Starfield came out, maybe the week after, uh, Sean Murray, the 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 head of the lead developer of uh, No Man's Sky and the one who did all those interviews that maybe played up certain things that weren't nearly as significant as uh, people were expecting. Um, he did publicly, I think it was on Twitter, uh, say like, yeah, uh, since um, Starfield came out, No Man's Sky has had its best week in years. Uh, oh my goodness. <laughs> because there were, I believe, some number of expectations of Starfield that weren't met by the actual game. And so people were all like, hey, you know, No Man's Sky has had, like, a whole bunch of content updates since it came out. Like, I, I'm going to take a shot in the dark and say, like, f six years ago, five years ago, 2018, maybe. Um, I, I've heard that one's, you know, got, got a bunch of stuff in it now. I'll give that a try and see if that scratches the itch that I was hoping Starfield would scratch, but didn't. Because what I've heard about Starfield, I haven't played it for the record, is you need to get like 20-ish hours in before it becomes significantly compelling. There's just a lot of boring stuff before then. I don't know if that matches your experience at all. It kind of sounds like it does. Yeah. Basically, like if you, I'm, I'm just thinking about Skyrim and Fallout. It's just, yes, it's, it takes a lot, may take a while to get in, but it's sort of it's easier to get in. Like when you're Skyrim, once you've got a how you've done the first bit, you just you go out. There's the entire world you can just explore where you want, and you just don't really have that in. Like you sort of, you, they try and say you have that, but you got to go through. You got to go into. You, you got hub systems. That you go to get to with, with the, your main area, and then you're expanding to other planets. And even like, the big comparison with the Starfield, uh, sorry, with the No Man's Sky is that with No Man's Sky, it's a lot of nothing, but you can explore the entire planet. Whereas with Starfield, it's just there is a certain cutoff point where the map just ends. With the map, then it just it will just kick you and say, "No, you can't go. You can't go further." Okay. Because a, a, a big draw of Bethesda games is exploration, going to a place and finding what's there and finding what's along the way. Like, that is some of my favorite things in Skyrim is I found, like, okay, well, I have to get from this place to this place, so I just started walking. And then along the way, I found a cave and that cave led into a tunnel system, and the tunnel system led into like a whole big underground area full of old Dwemer stuff. Uh, and then at a certain point, I was like, "I've been in this this Dwemer area for ages. Where was I going again?" Um, <laughs> <laughs> and Starfield, I think, by like segmenting the exploration areas between like different planets and not letting you travel between the two, the planets yourself, but having it functionally just be fast travel. It sounds like it's just less. It, the, that feeling of exploration just sounds like it's not there as much. Honestly, you're talking about this now. It's sort of like, I'm just going to, it's just saying, yeah, I think I'm just going to start drop Starfield 
probably going to go back into um, Nomad Sky, honestly. <laughs> honestly, like I now, like I ended up getting it for the Switch and putting a little, a, a bit of time into that. Sort of dropped off, but maybe I'll go into because now I've got the Steam Deck, I can go into that. That sounds interesting. I'd be curious to hear like the comparison firsthand from you, if that's something mm. you are indeed interested in doing. Yeah, I might actually ended up doing that. But anyway, with uh, we're with uh, so that's sort of my experience with Starfield. Yeah, maybe 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 one of those things they'll update it and update it and it'll get loads better. But at the moment now, there there is one more question I wanted to ask you uh, about Starfield, which is how is the customary launch area Bethesda bugs? Um, have you found any interesting ones or has it just been like, oh, I guess it crashed. Sucks to be me. No, no. credit to Bethesda. It was the most stable Bethesda launch game I have ever played. Okay. There was there was one thing where I died and I got like tr- wiggle and trap in a box. But after that, no, no, um, no characters just, just, just randomly just flying off everywhere after they've died. Um, no play, no characters just clipping where they shouldn't be. Um, it yeah looks and runs great. Okay, I ran it on Series X. Yeah, Series X, um, thirty FPS. But yeah, I that actually I'll be honest. Um, yeah, that was one of the most surprising things about it. So yeah, they the, the extra time they spent on the game, good job, paid so off. Far. <laughs> but with that um, I actually played <coughs> well they are Bethesda games now but I ended up playing um, going and playing some Doom games so uh, through the month of September I actually ended up playing Doom Doom 2 Doom 64 the Doom Eternal DLC and I'm currently playing now Doom 3 from very rudimentary shooting to I guess rudimentary shooting in a different way, but in the way that they were influential, not basic. Yeah. Oh yes. Yes. Um, yeah, it's actually it's up and it's actually a down and an up and then a sort of down. Not not quality wise, but sort of like the the ebb and flow of the, how I've been playing. Because you know you got your Doom and Doom Two, Doom sixty four, um, based obviously original um, nineteen ninety three. Um, gameplay, uh, I play all of these on Switch. I didn't really... Actually, one weird thing with... Um, I'll just mention one thing with the Steam... Because the, uh, the Bethesda version... Because they ended up re- doing... Cause they released the Bethesda version of like Xbox, PlayStation, Switch. And they did that for the PC as well. Um, and with the actual dev Bethesda version on the PC, it doesn't do... Um, 16 by 10 which is the the resolution of the steam deck so it only do 16 by 9 you got to cut borders on the top and bottom but if you put it into 4 by 3 mode but basically it'll put like its own borders it fills the entire screen huh yeah it's an annoying thing and i just didn't really want to sort out like you know installing like a source port and playing it through there i just thought I was playing on Switch, got the OLED Switch, nice screen. Um, very much um, 
Yeah, the first the first game I only played the. Here's me showing my age. I only really played the first three episodes because for me, thought, because there's four episodes in the original Doom because it's done as um the ultimate Doom. Um, I ended up um sorry, and the the fourth episode, Five Flesh Consumed. To me, that always is a sort of a I would say like an extra episode because originally. The first three episodes. Um, so I only did those. I only did those. Um, very interesting. Very compared to Doom 2, very claustrophobic, very tight um, level design. I mean, this was back in their heyday. Um, yeah, nice enemy design. Um, I played it. I did it on Ultraviolence. So I didn't do it on Nightmare because um, that's. You know, there's sort of respawning monsters and it's sort of too bit like too difficult for me. Yeah. But I did do it on yeah, ultraviolence. I did do it proper I did end up um making sure I didn't save scum. Um so I was proud of that. I I did end up um like I didn't pistol start every when I lost. Um so, you know, I always made sure when I started new, when I went to the next level, I saved it and just played through that. And if I died Went back to start, but I still had all my original equipment. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, didn't play the, the last episode because that's just tough as nails with that one. And it's not really, I, I don't really enjoy it. Um, Doom 2, probably the favorite of the, my favorite. Because um, that's sort of, you start off, you start off like the basic Doom design, but it's sort of, that's when they sort of knew the engine and how much I can expand on it. And so it's just like everything is just get bigger and bigger and more enemies, bigger levels. But with that, you get um, more ammunition and just more weight, like more ways to just, to just annihilate multiple enemies. Um, super so- shotgun, absolutely fantastic in that game. So I'm curious about Doom 2 because you, you mentioned that the the levels get a lot bigger and stuff or would you ha- would you guess that that is sort of what inspired like serious sam cuz serious sam is known for having really big levels with waves and waves of enemies yep i would i would i haven't played too much of serious sam <clears throat> but yeah i would dare say that's sort of a inspiration from doom 2 rather than a whole doom series like just it just basically they knew you know these computers were getting people were, basically people were buying computers bigger better computers to run Doom yeah back in back in the day and so they knew that and then they with Doom too they knew they had these bigger machines let's take advantage of that because the actual engine itself is the same but just bigger levels big uh, more enemies. It is kind of wild to think that, like, the period between the release of Doom and now, even over the course of just human history, is, like, a tiny fraction. And to think that we've gone from, like, people buying more expensive and powerful computers to run Doom to, like, people have managed to start running Doom on, like, the LED strip on, a like, a MacBook or... 
like it's it's a running joke now of what can you get Doom to run on, like a TI eighty four calculator, or you can play Doom in Minecraft or something, you know, or, or you can play Doom on a pregnancy test. Yeah, <laughs> that's wild. Um, and so after Doom two, I did um, Doom sixty four. Uh, really good to play on the OLED Switch. Oh my goodness, because Doom sixty four. Notoriously, the original Nintendo 64 release, like, really dark, too dark on the Nintendo 64. They brightened it up a bit with this re-release. Um, but it was um, really good to play in the OLED with, with its darkness. Uh, expanded a bit with the, um, like, it was sort of, it's a much darker tone. Um, Visual-wise, uh, soundtrack-wise, it was, um, they went, I wrote from the original, like, Bobby Prince soundtrack to Aubrey Hodges uh, who did the actual soundtrack for the PlayStation Saturn Doom. Mm. Um, so it was a lot, lot more lot more dark, uh, a lot more creepy. Uh, technically builds... It's funny, you know, even... The, it's funny, like, the sort of same visual designs like the PlayStation Doom and, like, the PC Doom. But the soundtrack-wise, it's just... Because they got those different soundtracks, it just gives us a different vibes for the same game for both of them. But Doom sixty four, uh, that's its own original campaign. Um, <laughs> few enemies cut from that. I think don't think that there's like the Revenant or the Archfile, uh, because of memory limitations with the Nintendo sixty four cartridge. Uh, but they got the most out of it. Like you had, uh, it was sort of like an expanded. Like it sort of felt like a Quake Engine game, so you had like you know rooms on over rooms which you couldn't do with the original Doom. A um, lot more traps, like a lot more ways um, to trap play- players um, compared to the original Doom. Um, so yeah, that's um, definitely a good. Time. These are all really cheap on all the stores, so I would say pick those up. Um, then I ended up doing. Um, Completing, I did it before, but I completed the Doom Eternal DLCs, the Ancient Gods DLC parts one and two. Tough as nails, these DLCs. But I did them on the medium settings. Original Doom Eternal, I do it on Ultra Violence. These ones I have to do on the medium settings hurt me plenty because it is just little Like this is like horde, mo- sort of like horde mode with these games. You sort of got enemies just coming after you and. This just turns it up to eleven. Like you've got sections out there, you're just going, you're just enemies just coming after you. Say, when does it stop? So there is one thing because we've talked about, I believe, Doom Eternal before. It was one of our first episodes, and one of the things that always kind of struck me about Doom Eternal is there are it added a bunch of stuff from the 2016 Doom to give like more steps to defeating an enemy like there's certain enemies you have to use the freeze grenade against first before you can like actually deal significant amount of damage to them and stuff and is that a big part of why this horde mode section is so difficult just because there's so many like special things you can't just pick a gun you like and hold down the fire button until everything is dead okay so that's a bit of a um with Doom, with Doom Eternal, uh, the original Doom Eternal, that's sort of 
the game, basically what people are getting that impression because when you go ahead and sort of like and a certain enemy shows up for the first time, it'll say how to defeat the enemy. So there's an enemy called the Doom Hunter and effectively it's got its own shield and it rides on a sort of like it's hover platform. And the game tells you to, the game tells you to um, basically break the shield by shooting with the plasma gun and then just wailing on it for sort of like a chain gun or a rocket launcher. But it doesn't actually, it it only, it do, it shows you how to do it by a plasma gun, but you can also do it by shooting down the, um, it's sort of hover base that it is, which is unshielded. So my strategy for that one is sort of like, I'll just get the chain gun, wail on it with the actual, um, on the hoverboard. And once it does that, then it sort of breaks its shield and then it just hovers around normally. And it's got a lot of things with the game. Um, it does that. It's sort of like for most of me, you know, it's mostly unless it's a specific way the enemy's dancing around, I just well on anything with like a super shotgun. Because with the super shotgun, it's got like a hook shot. So you can go in, grab it, grab it, go towards an enemy. And if you upgrade the hook shot, it's got... It's got a um, it's got a fire property so that when you get attack the enemy and kill it, it um drops ammo. Ammo, uh, I don't know. It's doom log- internal logic. I don't know how that works in real life. It doesn't need to. It's doom logic, like you said. <laughs> Basically, it'll. It, it, the idea is that you're supposed to be able to chop and change these weapons, um, but. If you know what you're doing, you can sort of, not breeze through it, but sort of work towards, um, you got your own sort of, you, you, you can you can honestly create your own style um, with it, uh, how you play the game. With these DLCs, um, they did end up uh, realizing that and said so there are a couple enemies um, that you actually need to, um, you actually need to have a specific weapon. So there's an enemy... Let me have a look. Yeah, there's an enemy called a spirit. Effective what it is, uh, when a normal enemy comes out, uh, it may be affected by a spirit. And so it's got this blue aura around it. And basically it's just tough as nails. So it's got increased health, increased speed, increased attack. Once you go ahead and defeat the enemy after wailing on it, um, the spirit will come out and you're supposed to... The idea is that the spirit... If it's left alone, will inhabit another enemy. So you're supposed to attack the spirit beforehand. The way you do it is you get the plasma rifle and you use a certain, um, I think I've mentioned it before, maybe in the episode, you, you sort of use that sort of like Ghostbuster um, attachment. The uh, idea is that yeah. you use this, uh, yeah, use this, it, it's sort of like trapping it. And then once it basically, it uses all up, like it basically one, it's got a meter. Once that meter fills up, then normally the enemy just explodes, and then any surrounding enemies around it uh, will explode. And so the idea is that for this spirit, that's the only way you can attack it. Uh, but once you get it in, once you basically realize what it is, you you're just making sure you just you just um, you're basically ghostbustering it, and then it'll dissipate. Um. And then there's another enemy in the second DLC, Ancient Gods Part Two. Uh, this is most annoying. This is a um, this is called a Stone Imp. The idea is that the Stone Imp is only vulnerable to a um, to the uh, the normal shotgun with the auto shotgun attachment. Because with the Doom Eternal, you got certain attachments. 
So with the normal shotgun, you got even an auto shotgun attachment. Basically, it continues fires. Or you got a um, probably seen this originally. It's like a sticky bomb. Okay. So no other yeah. So with the stone um with the stone um enemy, no other conventional weapons will hurt it unless you use the actual shotgun with the auto shotgun attachment, which is annoying as hell. Um, but it sort of gives you sex. And once you know it, it's like, okay, rather than actually use my own strategy, okay, I have to use this auto shotgun thing. You can also, with that, you also use the chainsaw because you use the chainsaw to sort of slice down enemies and that uses to refill your ammunition. Yeah. So like you basically, you're, you're building your own ammunition and you can sort of do that as well. So if you're in a pinch, you can get that enemy like that. Um, and then there's another enemy where basically they got this um impenetrable shield that you cannot get unt- unless it's attacked from behind. So the idea, the way the game tells you is that you're supposed to use the rocket launcher with the attachment where basically you can tell it to sh- to basically um explode early. So basically you you shoot it and then you can tell it to explode early. And the idea is supposed to get the rocket behind the enemy and then explode it so that it the explosion attacks him from behind it kills it then can you also just strafe though or does it turn too quickly it, it'll turn too quickly it's always facing you yeah yeah you could also use a grenade um so that's no idea you can't chainsaw that enemy so yes um this was this when i played these games because i re- played this dlc originally this first DLC, I had to actually do it towards the end. I had to do it on the easiest setting. Because it's one of those games, I think I've talked about this before, it will just break you. Once you know what you're doing, um, it's fairly straightforward. For me, it's fairly straightforward. I had to go through this. Um, but when you find a first play, it will just... It basically, you play it, and then you just, you just shut the computer off, you just go in the corner and you're just rocking back and forth and just going, what, what, how did I manage that? Honestly, a lot of this stuff, I mean, the, the specific examples of the spirit and the stone imp, it sounds more annoying than it does challenging, you know? And that's not really, because if you do manage to find your own style and if if my memories of playing the I say original, Doom 2016 are accurate. You do get to like make choices with how you upgrade your weapons to find your own style. And then it's just like, hey, I know you like playing this game your way. I have some great news for you. Now you get to play it our way. You have to do this. And it, it, it just feels like it kind of takes you out of it. Because with the original, with the, for the first game, uh, Doom Eternal game, it's the way they sort of did it is that like, you basically had certain ways you can get enemies down faster. But if you had your own play style, you can just do that. And the way they sort of try and get you to encourage to switch up weapons is by lowering the ammo amount. But if you're smart enough and keep running around uh, and then creating your own ammo, you sort of work towards that. But yeah, with these DLCs, you've got ones that are just, you have to get specific pain points mm. Mm. but anyway so i did those dlts i did them on just a medium settings no, didn't have to adjust it which is good and then now i'm just currently playing doing things so completely turn around you know going from this like original like this high octane um you know fast-paced shooter to this 
slow, methodical horror game. Um, I'm also playing this on the OLED Switch, Doom 3, uh, which I would recommend. It's um, it's fantastic. Like, it's just the black levels. Um, I didn't realize at the time, basically, with it, because it's the BFG edition, and they had actually adjusted it so it's actually, they actually put in more ammunition. So, like, going from, like, going from, like, um, Doom Eternal, which had, like, you had 24 shotgun shells, maximum you can get, to something in Doom, Eter- Doom 3, where you can get 10 times that. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, this BFG edition, because um, I'm just, you're just picking, I'm just playing on standard settings, you're just picking up ammo as you go along. It's just like, I'm not running out of ammunition. Uh, but I'm having, having, I'm having a good time. Um, uh, they changed it up with the flat. Because the original Doom game, Doom 3 game, you had a flashlight. So you had to manage between, you know, if you want to turn the flashlight on, or like basically you had a weapon or a flashlight. This one, uh, basically it's mounted onto your suit. So you can just turn it off and on. But it sort of takes away from the atmosphere because you can sort of like, okay, I can see the enemy, I can shoot the enemy. And, you know, like the flashlight itself has a meter that when you turn it off, it fills up fairly quickly. So I try, I honestly, I try, I try to use it. Don't try, don't try to use the flashlight much while use with the, with a weapon. I try to actually flip it or flip it around. One thing I, I did know about Doom 3, I think that's one of the first instances of like video game modding that I heard about was that people really hated the way the flashlight worked in Doom 3 because yep. having to choose between seeing the enemy and shooting the enemy, I think it it may have been a holdover from like, well, it's called Doom. It's a Doom game. Why is it like this now? Um, was people modding like, I think it was like called the duct tape mod or something that would tape the, the, the flashlight to your gun. And... Now that we've gotten a significant amount of distance from it, do you feel like you and other people are now appreciating the game for what it is instead of disliking it for what you wanted it to be? Oh, I mean, this entire video essays on YouTube now just stating, you know, why the original Dune 3 is so much better than the DLC. That's right, with the BFG edition. Is that because of the this ammo amount and because of the way the flashlight works, and it's so interesting. I think it's so interesting because that was when yeah, it was Doom Three and Half Life Two. They originally came out, and so like Doom Three, I felt was overshadowed by Half Life Two. Um, back in the day, but I feel like Doom Three is the better game. Really, honestly, yeah, I understand. I understand, you know, Half-Life, very influential, but I just prefer Doom 3. Yeah, I I was going to joke and say, like, getting overshadowed by Half-Life 2 is not exactly, like, a unique experience to Doom 3. But it is it, do you think it's maybe because, um, I mean, you are a, a very big fan of Doom? Or do you, like... What what is it that you prefer about Doom Three over Half Life Two? I I I think just Doom Three has got its own. I obviously both both got their own atmosphere, but Doom Three has its own unique sort of unique aesthetic to it, like sort of 
half like influential, pretty standard. If that makes, I don't know if that makes sense. Like pretty standard. This is a video game. This is doing go and throw. Whereas doing throw, it's like you you're basically you're trapped. You're in this dark place. You're trying to escape. You got these enemies just flying at you, just hunting and just trying to scare you. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I just felt like I, I think over the years, I like maybe originally, you know, probably I would thought Half Life Two was the better game, but just over the years, it's just sort of like I've now come to appreciate Doom Three more. Like, I don't feel like Doom Three is the lesser of the actual series. I feel like Doom Three it's its own unique take. Like you've got Doom Twenty Six and Doom Eternal together; they're their own product you've got the the original classic games they're their own series and then you've also got Doom 3 and it's its own unique series and it's sort of like i like i like that so i'm gonna put you on the spot here a little bit um would you say that doom 3 especially the original way to play doom 3 between like choosing between weapon and flashlight if Someone played, like, say, Aliens Colonial Marines and was disappointed by the way that game was a hilarious trash fire um, that nobody should play. Would you say that if you're looking for, like, a very claustrophobic, horror-y type shooter, uh, that Doom 3 would be a good place for them to go, a good game for them to try? Yes, I would even say the um, the BFG BFG edition, because uh, BFG edition is just easier to get set up. Like, there's a lot of tweaking you have to do with the original Doom Three. Uh, it is playable; you can do it, but it's just far easier to just do the original, uh, just BFG edition. It's on the consoles; you can easily do it on PC. But yeah, definitely, but for definitely for like Alien Colonial Marines, um, definitely, definitely. Just if you've played that, you've never played Doom Three, play Doom Three. Highly recommend. Exciting. That's good to know. Yeah, so that's sort of, uh, that's on my whole thing with um, the Doom series. And lastly, I think you've been playing some Venba. How's that going for you? I have. uh, Let's take a wild um, tonal shift here uh, from Doom 3 to Venba. Because Venba is uh, a recently released game, another sort of in the wholesome games subgenre. Um, it's a combination of visual novel and cooking game that tells the story of a family of immigrants originally from India who immigrated to Canada, to Toronto. Uh, and it gives little snippets of their life um, around, like, the food that they cook in those significant life periods. And it starts with you have uh, the wife and the husband, and the husband has to, you know, get up for work, and the wife is sick, and she, like, did you pack your lunch? No, I didn't have time. I'll just have some coffee at work. And she's like, okay, we have some leftovers. I'll cook you some stuff. It'll literally take five minutes. And then the first thing is you're making um, food for your husband to take the lunch. And then 
At the end of the day, he comes back from work and you make the same food again, but this time there's an extra little thing to indicate uh, with a little face on it to indicate that she's pregnant. And so then they have a genuinely serious conversation of like, okay, well, we immigrated to Canada because we wanted to have a, a better life and a different experience, but we're sort of barely scraping by and now there's a child on the way. What are we going to do? Uh, there's some genuinely heartwarming moments with conversations like those. And then it cuts forward to when their child, their son is like five and, and, and there's little time gaps for different experiences in their lives. And one thing that I really, really liked about this is um, it's not just like generically Indian. It is specifically, I'm going to do my best to pronounce this properly, Tamil. Like, okay. uh, there's a moment later on in the game where their son, who has now like graduated university and has a job as a screenwriter, I believe, is working on like a series with someone else. And this guy, he's a a white Canadian, is like, okay, well, we have this scene where everyone brought food for like a big multicultural potluck. And, you know, the, the character we've written, we're, we're going to base it slightly on your experiences. So what sh should she bring? Is she going to bring like spicy vindaloo or chicken tikka masala? And the son goes like, well, she's Tamil, so none of those. Uh, and I like that it brings a, a level of specificity to the experience that makes it feel a lot more authentic because I, I, I don't want to claim to be an expert on this, but it feels at least semi-autobiographical. It feels like it, the writing was based on someone's personal experiences. Mm -hmm. It also spoke to me personally because I had a very similar experience to some of what was described in the game. Like, I was never an immigrant. I was an expat. Um, so, I, like, w when I was a kid, we moved around to different countries, never truly settling. But we were strangers to those cultures. And a thing that the game really touches on is, like, trying to maintain certain aspects of your home culture like speaking your own language um in a culture and in an environment where that language is foreign and like eating food from home and how not being completely surrounded by your home culture changes you as a person that i that really really spoke to me um and that's you know kind of a very specific experience that not a lot of people are going to identify with. But it really, really helped me enjoy the game more because it is quite a simple game. The The cooking aspects, there is some amount of puzzle to them because you're following a recipe, but the recipe has like chunks missing that you kind of have to figure out. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the writing is phenomenal. I like even though the game's like an hour and a half long, I really feel like I got to know the characters, their struggles, their feelings, their experiences, like trying to fit in on the other side of the world away from the rest of their families and 
I don't know. It it was heartwarming. It was genuinely quite beautiful. There there was a a moment where I'm not gonna lie, I almost cried. It was it, it was beautiful. That's nice. Um, and I highly recommend it to to anyone who's looking to like even if you've never been an immigrant or never been an expat, like just learning a little bit about what that experience is like because those kinds of experiences I think can open your eyes to how other people live and I think that's very important for empathizing with other people. It's also on Game Pass. It's like an hour and a half long. Uh, I will say, I'm going to get on my soapbox here a little bit. If you don't have Game Pass and you just buy it on Steam, don't refund it. Like, no. it's short enough that you are uh, that you are able to, but I, I'm going to say the same thing I said about a short hike. Like, if you refund this game, it means that fewer games like this get made because it becomes less financially successful. Just just don't, please. Yeah. If you are going to buy it, keep it. It's yes. good. It is worth it deserves to exist and more games like it should get made. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it was the the length does mean that I, like I don't really have a lot to say about it. Uh, aside from the things that really spoke to me, but I think that's enough. You know, there are so many th- that those things spoke to me so deeply that I-, I would highly recommend it to basically anybody. And like with a short hike, if you do have Game Pass, the cost of entry super low. You could just download it. It's like three gigabytes, I think. I finished it in one evening, but it. It's one of those games that I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. I think it it was genuinely very very beautiful. Hmm. Nice. I do like shorter games. Me too. Like I I, I said at the beginning of the episode that I'm playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla still, and I'm goddamn sixty five hours in and it's still not over. I am having a good time, but I wouldn't have minded if. It was like half as long, you know. And with all these, with all these reports, you know, with Starfield, you know, you get twenty hours to get into the game. I was thinking, really, like why? Just let me have fun. I, I do think like that. There is an argument to be made with like, you know, if if you are spending money you do want to get a certain amount of entertainment out of it. And if, especially if money's really tight for you, um, I, I 100% respect that. Like if you're dropping 60 or even $80 on a game nowadays or 70, I guess you'd want something you can get a lot of entertainment out of. Uh, and Venba, if Venba is like 15 bucks on steam, which the ratio of like 15 bucks to an hour and a half of gameplay is not really what you'd hope for. But the way I look at it is it's not that much more expensive than like a movie ticket, you know? Exactly. 
and this has an element of interactivity to it. You get to play it more than once if you want, although I don't really see why in this case. But it is a singular, beautiful, tightly written experience that I think is worth the money. And if money's really tight, wait for a sale. There are sales. Or if you have Game Pass, download it from Game Pass. Um, but yeah, like even even like a sixty to seventy dollar game, it doesn't, in my opinion, need to be like two hundred hours long. Like, especially if you have a full time job, you're working like forty or even more hours a week. A game that's sixty hours long is gonna last you months. And Valhalla, I don't even feel like I'm halfway through and I've played it for 60 hours. I mean, I'm going to get um, next month is going to be when Super Mario Wonder comes out. You know, that's a, a standard price game. You know, it's not going to be, you know, 60 hours and that, but I'm going to invest my time in it. And for more the time, I'm going to have it. So I'm going to have a great time. And uh, those of you who listened to the most recent episode of Focus will also know of all the other games that are coming out in October. Oh, God, there's yes. so many games in October. Uh, but yeah, Super Mario Wonder is the big one. And that's, you know, going to oh, be, right. I think, like a, a tightly designed experience. It's not going to be like three hours long, but it's also not going to be 60, probably. No, no. I, sort of, I think it happened medium, so like maybe it's like eight to ten hours. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like 15 at most. Yeah. Oh, when you actually properly get it, like if you're doing everything, yeah, maybe like 15 to 20 hours. But it, that is also the type of game that lends itself really well to replaying levels and stuff because there exactly. will be like little, um, like in previous games you had like the star coins and sometimes you miss one of those and you replay the level to get it back. Uh, sometimes there's legitimately just like, this was a very fun level and I'd like to play it again. And that is one thing that Venba doesn't have is because of the like nature of its narrative, I think it doesn't really lend itself well to replaying. But given the way it was designed, I don't really think it's necessary to replay it. Like it's not the kind of game that you really need to. There is some things that I sort of forgot to do because sometimes when you're cooking, you can press Y and you get like a little pop-up of I'm having trouble with it and then it'll repeat the instructions for you. There's also a little information blurb on what the dish you're making is and I did forget to read some of those. Um, so I guess I could go back to like the individual chapters and reread those. Uh, but yeah, it is a singular artistic experience. I'm very glad it exists. I'm very glad I played it. Uh, and I recommend everyone does as well. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Game Podger Unfocused. I have been your host, Scott. Thank you, Hilka, for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me as always. It's been an absolute delight to be here. And I'm looking forward to the next one already. Yes. Yes. I'll be... Me, it'll be Mario Wonder and I think Metal Gear. So that'll be a fun one. 
I genuinely don't know what I'm going to be playing next. Uh, there's a lot happening, and some of it will show up on end focus, and some of it won't, and I'll figure it out. I've got about a month to think about it. <laughs> so we'll do it live. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Game Podular Unfocused Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our other show, and Focus. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and our Game Podular for updates, news, and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular Patreon. The links for both are on our website. Thanks. This episode was edited by me, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheScottyJman. You can also follow Hilka on Twitter at Gear12 underscore Turbo. Thanks for listening.